Yes, yes. Check, check. One, two, one, two. One, two, one, two. Check. Seven hundred. Seven hundred. We're live, Neil. We're live. Hey, everybody. Guess what? Tonight is our seven hundredth show, and I'm gonna swear and say that's fucking amazing because we didn't think we'd last eight, and we've had some amazing guests and some fantastic shows. That if you go on YouTube or any podcast platform, you can check out a lot of those shows. If you're like broken down in the desert or something, we've had um, a lot yeah. of laughter. A lot of laughs. A lot of laughter. A lot of tears. Quite a bit of wine. A lot of wine. A lot of wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of beer. Yeah. I fell over once. <laughs> um, that was exciting. Got driven home by the CHP one night. That was exciting. You can't bring, we can't go back <laughs> to all the shows. No. We could. But, but maybe we will talk about that on a future show. But like yeah. I said, there's a lot of great shows of whether you're into surfing or skateboarding or shaping the environment, uh, Everything. political endeavors. Um, and, and tonight we're continuing that because tonight – and now – it's actually. I don't know how I got a hold of her. What happened? Yeah, let's I, figure this out. I don't know how that happened. I'm gonna put this right in the camera so we can see this. This is the official. I'll cover your uh, information there. Yeah. There's our uh, there's our guest tonight. Monterey Bay Fisherman. Melissa Mahoney. Trust. Yes. So the Monterey Bay Fisherman's Trust. Fisheries Trust. Fisheries. Fisheries. Is. Is what? Let's start from the very beginning. Okay. Well, it's more than a name. First off, welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank right. you so yeah, much. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Yeah. It's and, it's a pleasure. And we both know nothing about what you do. So yeah, and I'm, I'm know, sure a lot of people we, here I don't. I think we talked about. I know rock, we know Rockhold and a couple of surfers. And rat, uh, yep. uh, rat boy and yep. who else do we know? Uh, Josh Lawyer. Yep. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But we actually, when you and I started talking, it wasn't even about this. It was about skateboarding because my son is super into skateboarding, and right. I saw on Facebook that you were doing all that stuff so that's right. why i initially reached out and right. then we got to chatting and i said oh you have this show do you do you like talking about fit would you ever want to talk about fish and well, ocean stuff fish. so as soon as you said fish i'm like i yeah. gotta I got, I got. dude it's only the seven on the show i gotta remind Sorry you about on your microphone <laughs> Golly, people um so, no, so i love fishing yes yeah so you were shooing okay if you just said like I don't know. You know, pickleball. I had you, you at F. Right. I had you at F. <laughs> yeah, you have you had a, you have me at F. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's talk about what you do because I'm interested in it and knowing. Okay. It, I know it has to do with our local community. Absolutely. Let's start right there. Okay. Well, can I give you a little like of my backstory and how I fell into the trust? Love it. Okay. So I am a marine scientist by training. I'm actually from Colorado, which is kind of funky. Everybody kind of laughs at the fact that I was, uh, I grew up in the desert uh, as a kid who loved the ocean, but I eventually found my way out here, went to grad school in this area. Shout out to Moss Landing Marine Labs, uh, awesome school. And then I thought I was gonna go to work and be a fisheries biologist and you know work for Fish and Game or NOAA Fisheries and do that whole thing. And then my career kind of took this completely alternative path and it had a lot to do with the fishermen that I started talking to in my first job because I had been you know most all of my academic training I'd been learning from kind of the academic side of things and even though I was in Moss Landing and I was out on boats doing research we never really had interaction with the fishermen for whatever reason it just wasn't in the program so once I got into my work and I was researching fisheries, I started calling and finding out who the fishermen were in these different fisheries and asking them questions. And I started realizing how incredibly knowledgeable they were about the resource. And I had had this mindset, really this bias that, that they were, you know, they were out there overfishing and depleting and damaging habitat and, you know, all the things you read in the papers and see on the news. Right. So I, I had this bias uh, about them, and once I started talking to them and seeing how much they care about the ocean, that they have families, and this is their job, and they're trying to feed their families, just like you know I was trying to have my career, and they know so much about the ocean, and it just it, it's through their own direct observation, and maybe a family member before them passing their observation down, mm. and it it really took me from the hardcore, you know, kind of fishery science aspects into what I would call human dimension aspects of right. fisheries. So for then the next several years, I um, got involved in social science projects that were looking at documenting how the 
fishing communities in Central and Northern California had changed over about the last 20 years. And that was absolutely fascinating because we got to take, we took all the landings data, all the economic data, and then we interviewed all, as many fishermen and business owners as we could. And we did this from the Port of Santa Cruz all the way up to Crescent City. So there's a port profile for each one. What type of business, what type of business were you interviewing? What type, what of, type businesses? of businesses? You you uh, the, the, the fishermen, the fish buyers, okay. the processors, right. the people who run the docks, the harbor masters, the gas station owners, the tackle, the tackle shop. shops, right. okay. the okay. electronic, right. everybody who... Were they... Uh, I, 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 because I fish and I know a lot of the guys, they're kind of salty. Were they, oh, were they receptive yeah. to you, like the newbie coming down the dock? Oh. Hey, guys, let's talk about what you do. Well, you can, you can imagine they, yeah. had their, they had their fun with me. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave me a lot of grief. They, um, you know, they tested me. They gave me grief. They, I, I mean, I've had jobs. Like, I, I have worked for the Monterey Bay Aquarium for the Seafood Watch program. Um, I talked to a lot of fishermen while I was doing that, and I, I would just sit and listen to a lot of yelling and then once if they didn't hang up on me and once we got through that mm-hmm. we would usually end up having a great conversation so so they couldn't scare you off so they started talking to you i <laughs> i learned to <laughs> i learned to have a thick skin yeah i bet. well normally they don't really want to share they're not they're, they're not the most sharing of information type people you would think that but you know what's funny you just let them know that you you ask one or two questions. Like what? Get uh, them going. What question? What kind of questions would you ask? How how did you get started? Wh- why why do you care about this? What what is it you like about fishing? Like tell me about the craziest day you had on the water. Mm. What what are you worried about in your you know in this lifestyle, right. in this livelihood? And, and you're not a commercial fisherman. So no. That that's the that saves a lot of the you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I actually tried to be a fisheries observer a long time ago before I went to grad school because I knew I needed to learn what it was like to be out at sea and be on boats. And I didn't know this at the time, but uh, to be an observer, uh, and an, an observer is someone hi- that the government puts on a fishing boat to for account for and yep, stuff, right. all that stuff. So because I didn't take a statistics course in college, I couldn't be an observer. Ah. I tried to get around it every which way, and this was in the 90s, and I think really they didn't want women on boats. Right, right. Because that was tricky. Yeah. So they found the one thing that you didn't have, and they were like, I can't do it. Yeah. And and I actually just, I was, I told you I was just up in Oregon at this mm-hmm. workshop, and we went to the Hatfield Marine Science Station, and I met the head of the observer training program there, and she had... A total. She became an observer, and it ended up being her whole life. And she never went to grad school. Hmm. And I had the opposite thing. Huh. I couldn't be an observer, and I ended up going to grad school. And we we had a good laugh over the trajectories <laughs> of our lives right. and right. thinking, right. well, what if each of us had made a different choice? And she told me some stories about being on boats with fishermen in Alaska and like s- up in those yeah. remote places. A lot, that of, were a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> a lot of cigarettes and like. I just think I'm thinking of Jeff. I'm thinking of Jeff Denholm right now. Oh yeah, well that's that's a different type of fishery. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, she used her karate, and so maybe it's a good thing I didn't end up as an observer. Oh yeah, she had to. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that's like I said, they're kind of a feisty group. So you uh, work for um, a nonprofit. Is it a nonprofit? Yes. Yes. And okay. It's, uh, so then we can just kind of get moving yeah. into that of what your path is taking you to what it is going on today. Yes. So um, I am. I feel absolutely blessed, and I'm thrilled to be the new executive director of this organization. It's called the Monterey Bay Fisheries Trust, which is kind of a mouthful, but we got started about eight years ago. And uh, the the primary reason that started this organization was um, to enable some fishing quota to be held securely for this region. And now we're going to start to get into some crazy acronyms, and I'll save that. But are you familiar with the West Coast groundfish trawl fishery? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You are? Yeah. Well, then we don't really have a groundfish trawl fishery here, do we? Not anymore. Yeah, right. Because they, they tore up a lot of the bottom, I know. Oh, that. okay. That and there's a lot of bycatch. And I'm just talking from not knowing, but what I've 
been told over the years. That that hap- that was very true in the 70s and 80s and the early days of the fishery. I lost 12 crab pots to one of those guys once. I, I bet. <laughs> I bet a lot of crab <laughs> pots really were lost. That's a lot of money when you're right. not, you know, right. rich. Yeah. 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 So the 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 story of that fishery is like a whole nother show and I don't necessarily want to go down that rabbit hole, That's but fine. the the shortest story I can say is that um, a another uh, conservation group called the Nature Conservancy. Mm-hmm. They, in the early 2000s, they bought about 13 trawl uh, permits and vessels in order to protect habitat and sort of sh- help shift the California boats away from trawling mm-hmm. and into other ways of catching groundfish. Groundfish, for any of you who are saying, what the heck is groundfish? It's just the fish living near the bottom. So it's right. our rockfish and our flatfish. Right. So <coughs> the TNC, the Nature Conservancy, they had these uh, 13 permits, and then the, that, uh, the trawl fishery completely transformed into a individual fishing quota system versus the uh, most all other fisheries are, they, they figure out every year how many fish can be caught, and then right. it's like a race to go out there mm-hmm. when the limit is caught. Then the fishery is closed essentially, so it causes derby fishing, it causes market oversupply, Mm -hmm. and it's just a big problem. So they transition the trawl sector to this catch share system. So every permit holder with a history of landings was assigned a share of the different species of groundfish. Mm -hmm. So the honest ones got extra. Well, it was it was purely based on landings history, mm-hmm. and so back to the trust. So the Nature Conservancy, because they had done this crazy buyout deal, they overnight became the second largest quota shareholder because they had these 13 permits. Wow! So they had three years to get under the caps that the that were set up in regulations, right. so that no one individual could own or monopolize the the fishery. That was the big fear of going to catch shares. And so they wanted to divest quota back into the communities where they had purchased that quota. So they they did that in Morro Bay. There's a Morro Bay Community Quota Fund, and that was kind of our model to set up the Monterey Bay Fisheries Trust. And I can't even remember now why. We didn't call it a quota fund. We decided to call it a trust. I think it was because we, we felt like for the what we wanted to set up, we really wanted to hold this trawl quota and the permits in trust to, you know, someday when the trawl fishery was on its way to turning around, there were nine overfished rockfish stocks. Right. The stocks mm-hmm. had to get rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Um, habitat, um, closed areas, the, the technology with the gear keeping it off the bottom. Mm-hmm. There have just been a ton of improvements. And so the trust... Um, our initial mission was to help revitalize the trawl fishery because it has been a hugely valuable and important fishery for the entire West Coast and for California to keep the infrastructure going, the port activity, the receivers, you know, keep kind of the lights on. Mm -hmm. But here in Monterey, the trawlers just have really struggled to come back for various reasons. And so in the last you know, several years, our quota leasing program, while we continue to do that here and there, we're mainly looking out into the community and saying, okay, well, our our mission is to advance sustainable, thriving fisheries and fishing communities in Monterey Bay. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Yeah. That's, right. that's why we exist. So um, aside from, you know, putting the trawl fishery aside and just saying, well, that's going to be what it's going to be, what else can we do to help? So we uh, have put the word out on the street to that we have amazing local seafood, mm-hmm. and we have a we have a seasonality guide, we have a consumer guide. We help people uh, find uh, direct purchase of seafood from off the boat sales, mm-hmm. uh, restaurants who are buying directly from fishermen. Yeah. So we're we're basically <laughs> trying to raise consumer awareness and choice for local sustainable seafood to support our fishermen to help keep their prices and keep their businesses going because they're they're really um, it's funny the last 20 years you know I'll say 40 years ago it was the, the fishermen were 
you know, they there were a lot of them. They were doing, a, they were catching a ton of fish and doing it in not the cleanest way. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of conservation pressure came on, and the the regulations on our west coast between the federal and state regulations are really strong and almost to the point now where the the fleet the california and the west coast fleet has gotten so small that we're really we're really threatened by maybe losing our fleets they they just really are having a hard time economically right. staying. Well, they can't get insurance they can't yeah, get insurance they're competing with cheap cheap imported right. white fish pollock. like tilapia yeah, pollock right. yeah. you know all these things that and and the the local consumer it's not their fault it, you know 20 years ago rockfish was overfished and mm -hmm. it left the market and it was right about the time when tilapia stepped in and so you know it's price and right. if it tastes okay then you know, okay. people kind of forgot about it mm -hmm. so we're here to say hey we have incredible rockfish chili pepper widow mm -hmm. Rockfish tacos, so right. yummy, and it's right here. Well, it seems like the halibut fishery is so strong um, for sport guys. California halibut, yeah, yes. Yeah, California halibut. Like I've, I, I've been fishing a long time, and I don't really recall um, how the inshore halibut fishing has been so fantastic for uh, many years now. Mm -hmm. and just, Why yeah, is that, do you think? Uh, well, maybe it's, is it the lack of the, the net fishing, or is it what, I mean, you're, this is your profession. Well... I, I, I got a bega pass on that because I don't, I don't study California halibut. I don't know what the trends are. I do know so, so the California halibut trawl fishery is entirely separate from the West Coast groundfish fishery. That's oh, okay. a federally managed fishery. California halibut trawl is a state managed fishery, mm. and I do know that for Monterey Bay region, there was uh, there was this little area so state waters like if this is our bay here state waters go out to three miles and then it becomes federal waters and so as the as the kind of state boundary yeah. goes there was like this little area that used to be halibut trawl grounds where there, the small number of the the, the state boat that has state permit mm -hmm. to trawl halibut they ended up losing those grounds because they kind of redrew the boundary and basically said oh no no you this is no longer halibut trawl grounds. Mm -hmm. And there was an effort by a few folks, I would say maybe five or so years ago to try and reopen that, but it just never gained speed. It's so there's only a few areas where the trawlers can go to target halibut. Did anything change when, this, when Murray, Bay, Murray Bay became a sanctuary? That Well, that was back, what, in 81, 82? No, 82, it was 82 because it was the 30-year, I just went to the 30-year uh, gala, 30-year uh, anniversary gala a couple weeks ago. So, um, gosh, I really don't know Kay. what was going on in 82. Or 92? 92. Oh, sorry, 92. 92. 92. Yeah. Thank right. you. Thank right. you. Well, that might have been a Panetta thing. Maybe it was a Panetta thing. Panetta yeah. was heavily yeah. involved in right. creating right. the sanctuary. And, I mean, I think really... For state fisheries, I'm not sure. I know that that the the federal council system was implemented with the Magnuson Act, and they st that that started in 1981. Mm -hmm. So federal fisheries management really got going in the early 80s, and I right. really don't know the California fish and game history. How are you guys funded? Is it how are we funded? Yeah. Okay, all right, switching gears. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. It's, it yeah. sounds like you're involved in a bunch of different things. Yeah, so um, so how is the trust funded? So we get a number of grants, government grants, um, philanthropic, uh, you know, different foundations, mm -hmm. and individual donors. Those are kind of our three key areas. So our seed funding came from a group of folks that, that came together um, the city of Monterey helped, the Monterey Bay Aquarium helped, the Nature Conservancy helped, the Environmental Defense Fund helped, and then it was people from all those groups and more who gave their own time, volunteered mm -hmm. their time. But those groups put together a, a, a pot of money that allowed us to hire a director, you know, hire someone to man, you know, to right, put right. things together and get things going. Um, and that person was Sherry Flummerfelt, and she just left a few months ago, and um, 
I just want to give a shout out to her because she did an amazing job with very limited resources. What was resources. her name again? Sherry Flummerfeld. Okay. And she now is the executive director of the Western Flyer Foundation. And they are bringing the Western Flyer, the, the vessel that mm -hmm. Ed Ricketts yeah, and it, John Steinbeck. restored. Yeah, yeah, they're restoring yeah. it and they're bringing back to this bay. So maybe you could get her, get her up here. Yeah, and that'd be cool. Have a chat about that at some point. It's yeah. a really well, cool I, I can't wait to see that boat. You, you, yeah, you want to get the public, the consumer, to buy local fish. Yes. Right. So you go to Shoppers Corner, Deluxe Food, you know, local stores. How how you how does the local the consumer ask for it, or they are do they know what to look for? Is it is it labeled? Well, so I'll I'll just speak from myself as a resident here. When I go to New Leaf or right. Shoppers or whatever, um, I can ask, and so. New Leaf has pretty good labeling because they work with the Fishwise folks, mm -hmm. and so you can see the the fishing method and the usually they have like Oregon cod or they, they actually might say the state or the area, so they're they're pretty good. Um, I don't really know about sh um, sorry staff but staff okay. of life. I don't really know, but it just it just depends, and it depends on who their provider is and how much they consolidate and how big their distribution is. Okay. You're tr you're, but you're trying to get the consumer to buy local fish. Yeah, it's yeah. and I would say, um, and grocers don't hate me, but I, I think, unfortunately, um, grocer chains, especially if there's more than one store, they have to have a distribution center, and they really can't work with small boat fishermen right. or individual fishermen. And so if you really want local here, a, a more direct model is either going to the the um, the farmer's market yeah. and buying from Hans. Go to H&H &H at the, the H &H harbor. Yeah. And then a lot of the fishermen have started selling off the boat. Yeah. And yeah. it's a little more of a, a word of mouth. And But like just today we posted um, uh, the Aqualeo is selling albacore down right. at um, Santa Cruz Harbor and in Half Moon Bay in a couple days until it runs out. And so right. those sorts of things, you kind of have to be in the know. There's right. a boat at the ramp right now that has mahi-mahi. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Really? Yeah, they just came in with tuna it's and okay. mahi. Climate change, that's something yeah. that... So well, they probably went south 300 miles, but they're currently we have a boat at the Santa Cruz well, ramp They're right seeing now. Dorado up in Oregon. I heard that last week. Well, they're catching bluefin right in the bay right now. Yeah. Yeah, my friend Alex so got the, four if the, of them. If the, where can the consumer learn about this? Uh, your website, or are they going to send something with the... Yeah, so... Or is it just word of mouth, or is there... A, so, so yeah, if they go to our website, we have, you know, up on the, the tab bar, we have something that says eat, eat local seafood. Okay. And there's a drop-down menu. We have a whole guide about how you can, where to buy, how to, how to store it, how to prepare it. We have recipes. Because oh. I think a lot of people, like when they think about eating fish, I don't know if it's this way anymore, but, you know, like if you're going to go out to dinner, you're going to get seafood because a lot of people don't, they don't they get it home it's like maybe it's stinky they don't want it in the trash can or they don't not quite sure what to do with it how long can I have it in my fridge or what how do I freeze it there's just a lot of questions so we have um, storage and preparation tips oh. and um, and then I forgot to say there's also we have a bunch of community supported fisheries so you, you know you have your CSA, your community supported ag, your farm box that you can order, pre-order and right, get. Right. Well, so we have community supported fisheries or CSFs here. And there are at least two off the top of my, well, three, because Hans at H&H, &H, he, yeah. he does one. And then there's Ocean to Table. And then there's Real Good Fish down in Moss Landing. And they all, you basically can become a member. You sign up and then you can say how much you want at the, you know, I want it each week. I want it every other week. Really? I don't want yeah. anchovies, but I will, I'll take everything else. You can kind of wow. pick and choose. And then th those guys buy direct from the vessels up and down the coast. Yeah. They started here, but like real good fish. And I think Ocean to Table now still like they'll buy from Fort Bragg because there's a lot more fish coming in up there that they can access. But it's, I think it's mostly all California. And then real good fish is actually, they are now... They can get you from direct from fishermen in the Gulf and on the East Coast, right. but that, so they've kind of gone <coughs> bigger. But mm -hmm. still, they they work with local fishermen, and so that's the Moss Landing guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I was in Santa Barbara. And I have a friend who's a commercial lobster, and they were down there yeah, buying lobsters. There's a, and there's a CSF. Um, 
blanking on what it's called right now. Sorry, Kim. Um, but the, the commercial fishermen of Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. um, their executive director, Kim Selko, she started one a few years ago. And so, yeah, there's a CSF down there. They're up and down the, the coast. Can I ask you about how you guys are dealing with climate change and the you know, climate change and the temperature of the waters? I mean, not right now, it's it's October. And it's, I think it's like 64 degrees out there. Balmy. But, right? Yeah, so I was how last you, night, and right. it was like, wow, it was like, I just got the water. It's like, that's Balmy. toasty, right? <laughs> but yeah. how are you guys weathering that storm or dealing with that well i mean we i won't say we because it, i'm not a fisherman so the fishermen that are out there they're seeing changes to where the fish are like you were saying the albacore haven't been here so mm -hmm. the the fishermen um who re uh, reside in santa cruz harbor that usually go for salmon and then albacore right. they're having to go way up north if they want to go for albacore. Crescent City is where they've been going. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Crescent City. Um, and then, so an example of where climate change is really hitting hard is the whole issue around the Dungeness crab fishery and the whale entanglement issue that has tangled up that fishery, unfortunately, because you have warm waters. We had that warm water blob for a few right. years. Have you heard about that? Mm -hmm. So that warm water really messed up the ecosystem and the food web and the, the krill that the whales depended on were not where they were supposed to be or got killed off. I, I don't exactly know those pieces, but essentially they couldn't find the krill. So they came closer to the coast. Oh yeah. Meanwhile, there was a demoic acid yeah. outbreak. So the crab fishery got delayed. I think so for the second year in a row, right? Yeah, it's yeah. been delayed for a, lo a lot yeah. lately. And and so it was this kind of perfect storm where the crab season got delayed, the whales got pushed in, and by the time the whales showed up coastally, the crab fishermen were running out there like crazy setting their gear because they're, they're behind schedule. They need to make their money. So there were a ton of crab pots out there, and then the whales happened to be there too and it was a really unfortunate situation and are there are they get i'm not a commercial crab fisherman but they're changes to their season is that what is coming up for them oh yeah there have been major changes and i i'm just going to speak generally because i'm still wrapping my head around it um, because this is working locally is a new gig for me i, I started this job in august okay. and i have been involved in fisheries but more at the national uh, federal level um, so yeah their seasons have been sharply curtailed um, really since I would say 2018 um, there was a lawsuit filed by the Center for Biological Diversity force that forced uh, fish and wildlife to close the fishery and to create a whole new it's called, um, th there's a Dungeness Crab working group, and then um, because of that lawsuit, they started um, something called the Risk Assessment and Mitigation Program, or RAMP. Hmm. And in that group, the, f the fishermen have worked collectively to try and figure out how they can reduce entanglements. But they, because of that lawsuit, they are basically allowed one take. One, if, if any gear interacts with one whale, they have to shut the fishery down. And so Fish and Wildlife does aerial surveys, like they'll start look for now this fall. Gear. Well, no, they look for the whales. Dragging gear, or like what's entangled, is that? No, 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 oh, they're just, just being the, in the, there's just no being gear, in the area. there's no gear in the water right now. Wow. They So they're oh, looking right. for whales and they're like, like, are they coming through the area? Are they coming this way? So they're watching the distribution of the whales and it's not until the whales start to leave that they will open the fishery. And unfortunately, lately, it's been after Thanksgiving, sometimes after Christmas. And that's, that's I mean, if you remember, like, right. there's yeah. nothing better than having Dungeness Crab on mm -hmm. the holiday. Mm -hmm. So they've really, I mean, they've fallen on really hard times because that was their moneymaker fishery. Well, and I feel for those guys, too, because um, the investment it takes to be a commercial crabber is enormous. The permit is one of the most expensive permits. Yeah. The gear is the most expensive gear. Um, you have to go out and uh, the, the cost of fuel, um, you know, the boat is running all day long, you know, and so I, I really feel for those guys losing their, because the investment, and I see cr crab boats are for sale left and right right now. Yep. In Santa Cruz? All up and down the coast. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, because those, so, you know, so those kind of smaller boat guys, they're usually salmon, crab, mm -hmm. al salmon, albacore, they'll maybe do um, hook and line, halibut or rockfish, right. open access. 
So they, they, they have a, they're kind of like portfolio fishermen, but really salmon and crab are the big money makers. So we all know we're in an incredible drought. Mm -hmm. Every single one of our salmon stocks is um, threatened, endangered, or critically endangered. Every single one, even the biggest run, the fall, the clan, uh, sorry, the Sacramento fall Chinook, which is normally, as I understand it, I think it's the fall Chinook has been kind of the the most abundant the one that's held the fishery up and even that that's that stock is in trouble because of the drought it's farming or fish one's gonna it's, win it's one's gonna lose well you know with what do you mean by farming and fish well, farming off unfortunately um historically we southern california relies on that water and our entire central yeah. valley relies on that water right yeah they, oh, so they, they, they drain the water low yeah, right. the water gets too warm right. and the fish don't survive right yeah. And um, or they're the places where they normally would be um, laying eggs and <coughs> having the fish spawn um, are it, uh, uh, is dry. So that's been the problem historically. Yep. So it's a fight for the water. Right. The lobbying of the farmers is gigantic <laughs> versus the lobbying of the fisheries, which kind of brings you into that sort of you're part of that mix. Because obviously. you don't see so you don't hear about the fisheries having a, an issue with the drought. Yeah, I mean, they the, the the fishermen often sort of they 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 get the brunt of it because they that the end when the you know the salmon aren't plentiful in the oceans, it's hard to connect back to well they they um, a lot of the eggs died because the rivers dried up or the the um, the smolts died because right. trying to get out of the estuary, um, so they what they get is sort of now the dregs and those water issues are huge. You right. know, that's a that's a political process that, you know, little organizations like us and even the fishermen's associations have a hard time having any influence over. Yeah, so, right. um, you know, we do, and I guess this brings me to a point about um, back to the trust. We, another part of our mission is to help educate and inform and empower fishermen themselves to be their own voice and to engage in mm -hmm those issues either at the state or federal level mm -hmm. um, so in terms of us being um, involved in policy and advocacy we occasionally do that if someone wants us to write a letter in support of or take a position on we'll consider that but um, I what I would rather do is is help some of these younger fishermen learn about how the fishery science is collected how the process works so that they can show up to a management meeting and speak intelligently on behalf of themselves and their right. their fleet. And so last week I was at this marine resource education program in Oregon. workshop in Oregon um, just to go through it so that I could speak about it and hopefully get other fishermen involved. And every year right now we, we give three scholarships a year, $1,000 each for fishermen to take a week, a week out um, they get their expenses paid by the program, but then they, they get to go a week and learn all about fishery science and, and management because those council meetings are confusing and they're a little intimidating. Do you find fishermen want to, fishermen want to do that? Um, or, we have. Yeah. It? Yeah. Well, the almost it's a bit for survival, it seems like it's gotten to that point. It, I mean, the, the fishermen now, like in the, you know, in the old days, fishermen could pretty much just fish. And they would deliver and they would you know get a decent price there were enough receivers there was enough competition they just got to fish they really didn't have to pay attention to much else but now the the regulations are so much more complicated things are changing so much faster mm -hmm. there is a there are a lot more stakeholders engaged in the process some with a lot of money and paying people to go to the meetings right. so there's there's an equity issue with that as well and uh, fishermen now have to not only they have to know how to fish, some of them have to know how to receive their own fish, sell their own fish, work with technology, manage quota, yeah. fix the engine, you know? go talk to yeah. a congressman. Well, because I feel like that's always been, like the sport community has been really, we've had years where they were going to shut salmon down. Everyone towed their boats to Sacramento <laughs> and, you know, block Sacramento towing their boats. Yeah. Whereas the commercial guys, um, I, I've always felt like they, they I, I, they weren't really organized, and uh, maybe it's getting better. And maybe organizations like yourself can help, because the, the future is, and also overseas fishing too is a huge problem. 
Which yeah, is competition. But don't they, just, don't they just want to fish, TC? I of mean, course they, they, do. they, well, they just want to fish. They don't want to get involved. And, and, and the all. folks that we know, they right. want to surf on the good surfing <laughs> days and then go fishing on the, on the days when the surf's flat because yeah. the ocean's smooth right, right on those right. days. It's yep. a perfect lifestyle. It is a right. perfect combo. Yeah, it's, it's I hadn't pretty thought amazing. about it. Did you, well, I'll have to send it to you after, but uh, we just put out an article on the surfer fishermen, and it featured Matt Rockhold mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some other fishermen and we even he uh, our writer dug up this article. oh thank you yeah. um yeah nick is such a great writer but he um he dug up and found some of some of these guys and i won't say their names just in case that would make them mad but you can read the article and um there's a link to this like cult video that they made in the 90s called monterey purple Hmm. And it's um, it's surfing these guys surfing and like surfing big stuff down in um, Carmel area against the backdrop of the 1967 Monterey Pop Festival with Jimi oh. Hendrix playing his guitar, <laughs> oh, lighting wow. his guitar on oh, fire. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> very creative. Well, you know, for a lot of these guys that um, that that's there is a big surf commercial fishing connection. Santa Barbara, huge yep. because of the islands. But they wanted to figure out a way to surf more. So you can't have a nine to five job and surf more, but you can fish. And during winter, it's usually much quieter. The harbor used to shoal up. You couldn't even get a boat out. Right, so right. So it was a perfect yin yep. yang relationship yep. with your. They'd be surfing the harbor mouth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they know the <laughs> harbor guys and they could get away with it. But right. So that's important. But I feel like um, it's good to have organizations like yourself because the commercial fleet needs all the help they can get. A lot of them aren't MBAs, law degrees. Oh, um, yeah. Some of them don't even know how to, you know, text. You know, it's like they're, they're learning uh, to be, you know, mm-hmm. competitive, mm-hmm. but they need resources like you. Yep. The, 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 as you drive over the harbor, you look down, you see all the fishing boats. Are, is, it, is, it, is the state of the state of their being, is it, are they healthy or are they not? Are they struggling? Because it's a big part of Santa Cruz. You see it every day. You go across the harbor. Yeah. And you maybe you I'm sure you know, but I'm asking you, is it uh, in a healthy state or I would s- I mean cuz the average consumer, the person lives in Santa Cruz, they don't know. Well, they yeah, and maybe the cost of living know. in Santa Cruz, right? We all know it's uh, you got to work your butt yeah, off to live here. I can't imagine what the cost of a gallon of fuel is for a boat. Well, no, it's it's well the co- I mean, I was the just saying earlier, I'm over $500 a month for my boat slip when it comes to electricity and um and my slip fee but my take on commercial fishing has always been it's an awesome lifestyle it is one of the coolest things to do as long as your rent didn't depend on it like you know so like maybe you have another source of income maybe your significant other has a great nine to five going on to where it's it's not because closed boats aren't insured motors Mm -hmm. blow up they Mm -hmm. sink i mean there's problems yeah. And so that's my it's take on commercial. Yeah. It's, I mean, fishing, it is, it's a lifestyle. It's a choice. I think it takes a certain kind of person, you know, maybe who doesn't want to be around people, is a really independent thinker, you know, likes to be alone, likes to fix is there, stuff. Is, ri- is risk. <laughs> you're always you know, fixing stuff. You're always <laughs> fixing stuff, working with your hands. R- you know, a, it's a really alternative lifestyle, and there's some really creative I'm sure, I'm, people. I'm sure you can count on both hands people you know <laughs> like that. I know. I know. Oh, they're all like that. I know. Yeah. I mean, every one of the com- – that's – you just uh, it totally described every commercial fisherman. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. the, that's how they, you have to be that way. I mean, like our friend Jason, he fishes by himself every day. You know, like it's rare that there's somebody else on the boat. You got to mm-hmm. be cool hanging out by yourself. Yeah. You know, well, and it's, you know, it used to be that there were, you know, you'd have the, the skipper, the captain mm-hmm. and one or two crew. And now, you know, on those small boats, those those guys can fish by themselves. Right. But on the kind of larger boats like the black cod um, pot gear or the right. long line long gear, line, yeah. Um, a very dear fisherman who really took me under his wing and taught me a lot in the early 2000s, Joey Jones, he went out fishing by himself because he didn't want to pay a crew member, and he never came back one day. He mm-hmm. went fishing, and they think he got caught in his gear. Mm-hmm. Well, that happened to Bocce. I don't know if you heard that story. He was a long-line black cotter, and he was out there. He was bringing in the line, fell overboard by himself. Right, and the, the boat, boat was kept moving. Going, uh-huh. 
He's out there floundering. He hooked himself. It dragged him back to the boat because he was bringing in the line. Oh, my. No, yeah. I didn't, didn't And another great story. story about this, Dr. Greg Olson. He's from Santa Barbara. He's my lobster fisherman. Kay. He used to lobster by himself. So one day he's going out to San Clemente Island, and he puts on his stove, and he's going to make his top ramen. Well, he gassed himself, went unconscious. The boat was on autopilot, ran into the island. <laughs> yeah, and he was a surfer. And he woke up, he was actually in a coma, but woke up when the windows broke from the waves, it was wintertime, the windows broke, he stripped naked, threw the EPIRB out, threw his surfboard out, and when the Coast Guard showed up, he was body surfing naked. <laughs> Com- doesn't remember Goodness any for warm of it. water. Yeah, but like, he would have, if he would have missed the island, he'd be dead, you know, and that's right. the, the yeah. risk of... Yeah. Right. The yeah. risk, you know, you high have to risk, go, high yeah. reward. Yeah, and so that is what happens, you know, with that. So. You only get those stories on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's, here's another story. Oh, but no, when they get back to it, his wife said he can't fish by himself anymore. Right. No oh, she said. Now he has a crew. Right. Every time there's right, a crew right. guy now. Yeah. Okay, so here's another story that uh, that Joey Jones taught me, um, and it's easy if you know it, but if you don't, so it's a question. It's a test. You ready? Yeah. No. Why is a crab pot round? Oh, I don't know about that. So it didn't go on its side? I don't know. Any other guesses? Why is a crab pot round? Uh, well, mine are hexagon. Oh, yours are hexagon? Yeah, sp- I have sport gear. Oh, okay. Why is a crab pot round? Well, if you think about how a crab walks around on the seafloor. Yeah. You know, it's got its back up against everything, and then it's, you know, going and going and going. So if the crab pot was square, yeah, it might just go right off the edge and keep going. Ah. But since it's round, it goes goes and goes around and around until it finds the hole, and then it boop, goes into the trap and gets huh. trapped. So that's why the fisherman made the crab Ra- pot round. Now we know. Because, <laughs> you know, it, well, what's interesting about that is on – the big boats in Bering Strait, they are, are squares. They are squares. So yeah. the, I think those rock, those king yeah, crab, king crab maybe those, move yeah, a different way. Exactly, yeah. But the, yeah. M- the like that was one of the things when I, when he told me that story, and I, as a, you know, master's in marine science, mm-hmm. like not that I studied crabs, but like the fact that I couldn't figure that out, and then he told me, and I was like, well, how did you know that? And he said, <laughs> right. we just. Watching him in the in the. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, yeah, watch, watch yeah, but in their tank. yeah, it's just an example yeah. of their knowledge base and how they use that to become better fishermen. Right. And yeah, it's really interesting what you do, and I'm really stoked because we have I have a lot of friends who commercial fish. I respect the industry; it's a huge part of the history of this town. When you think about the Santa Cruz War, this area, and the Italians area, who yeah. came here and just yeah. you know took to it like none other, and um, and the fact that it's still here and what it gives back. You know, like the, 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 the how healthy the food is. I always say Monterey Bay is, to my opinion, as healthy as it's ever been. You know, I spent a lot of time out there, and it's it is absolutely a beautiful resource that we have. It's amazing. It, it is. We, I mean, for the, you know, salmon are in trouble. There are there are troubles off our waters, but you know, our rockfish stocks, our lingcod, our halibut, halibut yeah. the quality of our water by and large, except for cows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, occasionally we get the algal blooms mm-hmm. when the water doesn't move and it warms up. But right. we, we do have it. We have an amazing bay and we have a cultural heritage that goes, you know, even back before the Italians. We had the indigenous Absolutely, peoples yeah. using the resources here. And I hope they start to get back involved in coastal stewardship. And, yeah, it's worth it's worth celebrating. And that our organization is just hoping to raise that, raise the visibility of seafood as it is part of our food security you know as we start to go into this future of what is climate change going to do to the oceans how is how is the the national and global economy having what's happening with energy i mean there's a lot of crazy stuff out there and part of why i decided to work for this organization is it's it's local it's here and i want to help seafood become a cornerstone of food security here in this area for our people make sure that everybody gets access to seafood Mm -hmm. that we support our fishermen that we find all the ways that we can to work together and build resilience because we're going to need it we're facing an increasingly uncertain future we need to work together and find a way to be resilient and feed everybody that's hungry here well i think what you were saying like buying off the boat like what a great way to support you know, the commercial fish. Oh, tastes so good too. Fun. And, 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 huh? and, and that's, yeah. that's a big 
difference in what they're getting off the boat than versus what they're selling to the distributors also. Oh, yeah. Think know, of so how many days. Right. It really makes a big difference yeah. over time. And so I think that that's an important message to get across because uh, those guys, you know, they work so hard. And sometimes the reward is not big. And some days it is big. That's fishing, you know. Like yep. I went fishing yesterday. We got one bite, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, some days it's good and some days it's bad, you know. Yep. So, But I think that that's important. Um, is there a social media? Yes. Yeah, she's we, all over it. We're, okay. we're, we're all on it. and um, Monterey Bay Fisheries Trust Monterey Bay is on Fisheries Facebook, Trust. it's on Instagram. Yep, hashtag uh, Monterey Bay Seafood. We just finished up a series. Uh, we, we do sometimes do events to raise money for our community seafood program, mm -hmm. which is, uh, was born out of the pandemic when fishermen were unable to sell some of their seafood into the supply chain that they were yeah, used to yeah. because it was disrupted restaurants we connected them with some of our local food banks and we got a grant to pay them to bring the Good. fish to meals on wheels yeah. loaves and fishes and wow. watson second harvest food bank is that the we, we we don't work no? with them yet okay. but we want to expand and just work with with anyone and so it was serving two needs hmm. in That's a awesome. way that was really great and so we do these events with uh, restaurant partners. We had one at La Posta in September and home restaurant in June. We're kind of coming to the end of that, but we'll gear up and have more events next spring. Right. And you know, you, you get to meet a fisherman, hear what they have to say, um, taste some They're of the fish. They're gonna meet Josh that Lawyer. Catch. That's well, that's I think it's important <laughs> because I, I know some of the commercial fishermen here in the harbor were talking about a certain restaurant on the beach here in Santa Cruz that doesn't buy local seafood. And they're and they're vocal about it, mm -hmm. and I feel like that's that's uh, if if I owned that restaurant and I saw that I'd be like, wow, I think I need to buy some seafood locally now, mm -hmm. and not from the not local scene. Yeah. And I would, um, I gift a fish. I have a friend who owns a restaurant. Once in a while, I will gift him a fish. That's great. And, and what he says is, he goes, you know, he puts it on the menu, fresh, locally L caught halibut. Right. And um, you can't beat it. Yeah, and it's it's such a great um, way to promote the local fishery that you don't get uh, a lot of times in restaurants it's rare that it's like they're really blowing up the, the fishermen yep. and if I had a restaurant I'm actually thinking about doing it someday but oh. I would have pictures of my fishermen and their boats and yeah. I would blow them up to that level yeah. to where you know that you're getting the freshest fish because I, I even know on the wharf in Monterey they're not all those people buying fish oh yeah yeah you know, agreed and, yeah. and to their credit like I I don't want to villain villainize anyone it, it is hard if you're running a restaurant and you're planning menus you, you want to have right. consistency and unfortunately our local you know our local stocks are they go up and down and right. the supply goes up and down and so it is really more difficult of us it's yeah. difficult for chefs and restaurants to you know, know what they're going to get. And if they have that model where they can be more spontaneous right. yeah. and it's a smaller venue, then often they can do that. But I, you but know, salmon's on the menu every day. Our salmon's just not our salmon. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that is, I, I get that part, but I would always try to support it and blow it up mar as a yeah, mar marketing great. for it, you know, right, right. Keep that in mind, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, thank you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. On a set, we take volunteers down there. Can people come and help out? Sure. I mean, sometimes we have things to do. Sometimes we don't. Depends on if we have events. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're interested, we have a we have an email. If you have an idea or a thought and you want to chat, mm -hmm. um, email us at info at mbfishtrust.org and and or connect. You know, just go to the website. Always, I'm open to ideas. I'm listening and learning. I'm still new. This is my third month on the job, Congrats. and you've taken I've some lumps, though, right? You've taken, you've hit, you've, um, you've taken some punches. I've heard some things that the local community wants and doesn't want, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I'm mulling that over with in relation to the assets and the strategy that we have, and mm -hmm. trying to figure out, yeah, what's our, Kay. how do we evolve? You still get time to walk the docks. I am I am doing that more because I I, well, here I she hear comes. more often. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm um, I'm actually got to go fishing. I have I have a friend who's got a boat in the harbor. Mm -hmm. who's a sport fisherman and actually caught my first lingcod ever about three weeks awesome. ago. Right. My son and I. Awesome. And uh, yeah, so I'm hoping to get in the water more, go fishing more, girl. go surfing more. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, talk to 
walk the walk, talk the walk, whatever that is the saying yeah. is, you know? Yeah, like, walk in it, the docks. It, yeah, right. That's uh, All that comes back to uh, getting the trust of that community and to educate yourself. Yep. Like you said, that, how you did in the very beginning. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. congrats to the new position. Thank it's you. Yeah. We learned a little bit today, Neil. Yeah, absolutely. I have no Our idea. Seven hundredth no. show. Yeah, she was perfect. Yes, you're a great guest. Yeah, awesome. I'm really proud yeah, of you because you. Uh, uh, yeah. it's such a unique thing we have, and it needs all the help it can get out here. And so, uh, thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Yeah. So you got shows coming up real quick, TC. Uh, you went to? What, did you go to Betty Burgers just a minute ago? You went to one of Betty Burgers? Yes. Yeah, they sponsor the show. Thanks, Laurie for the negro for sponsoring the show. Yeah. She's awesome. Huh? She's Betty awesome. Burgers, damn, they're good. The oh, I had one the other day. Ooh. Milkshake. Uh, do we don't discuss the future shows yeah, next week? Guess okay. who's coming on next week? Uh, is that uh, who? The Bales girls. <laughs> Tune in next week live on Bales Facebook girl. to see the okay. Bales show. The Bales girls coming back next week. I always week. gotta break it to my wife. I'm like, oh honey. They've been on three or four, <laughs> two or three times. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think I don't remember. Maybe once. <laughs> Mark Andrini's coming back. Mark awesome. Andrini's one of the, I think Mark Andrini, in my opinion, is uh, one of the. Most Premier artistic shapers, right. shapers uh, surfboard so builders. We, I met him before. We talked about the 50s and 60s. Now yep. we're going to come on and talk about the 70s. Can't wait. With Mark Andrini. Yep. Great We've got guy. Gail Pellerin, who's running for state assembly. Awesome. Uh, and then followed by Shebra. Yep. Supervisor. Running for supervisor. Running for supervisor. Yep. And then the next day we got Justin. Running for mayor. Running for supervisor, too. Oh, that's right. That's right. He was mayor. He was mayor. Yeah. And <laughs> then I got, uh, I've got Nellie's. Nellie's. Uh, nephew, she's coming on with the band. She left from Santa Barbara. They're okay. called uh, Queen Tide. Really good. Awesome. Really good. They're so coming on the show. Great show. And so then well. we, uh, December 6th, we always. <laughs> you always do this. This to is going to be great. <laughs> I just know it. Disco yoga. Oh, okay. I'm ready <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah. Disco yoga. We're <laughs> doing disco yoga. You're coming. Disco yoga. Huh? Right, some yeah, Donna Summer and yoga. Yeah, what can be wrong with that? I can't wait. Right? We'll do a contest. Yes, we'll do a contest. Are we doing a disco oh, yoga yeah. contest? Yeah. I've okay. seen your moves. They're not good. Hey, the last yoga contest we had, who won? I think you, I don't remember. Who yeah, did. you remember. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> Killed you. Tune in for that, folks. Uh, again, T-Fox, Santa Cruz Waves, thanks for letting us be a part of the Santa Cruz Waves family and allowing us to be on your great show and platform and being a part of it. Uh, tune in next week. We'll have more shows, more great times. Thank you if you ever watched our shows before. Yep. It'll be on YouTube, on every platform if you want to go podcasting. And uh, 700, 700 shows tonight, right, Neil? Yeah. Woo! It's been a eight, eight and a half years or something we've done this? Wow. Amazing. I, we're still friends. Yeah. Okay. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>